Hello, friends, and welcome to another brand new episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm your host, Joe Webb, and this is a podcast for spiritual exiles, for all of us who are looking for faith and spirituality beyond the confines and the fences of institutional and organized religion. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Our guest today is my good friend, Sarah Farish, and Sarah is an Enneagram coach. Um, the Enneagram is something we occasionally have mentioned it here in previous episodes of the podcast, but we've never really um, done a, a deep dive, so to speak, into the Enneagram. So um, Sarah's going to talk to us a little bit about what the Enneagram is and how we can use it and how it can be a tool in uh, in sort of our spiritual development. But before we get started with that, I'd just like to remind you that you can find all of the content that we're creating for the Accidental Tomatoes community on our website, accidentaltomatoes.com. You can find not only every episode of the podcast there, um, but but a blog that's put out every other week with various topics relating to uh, some of the issues that we confront as spiritual exiles. We also have uh, a brand new curated content section where we're sharing uh, some of the articles that we're reading and videos that we're watching and things that we're listening to, um, to just kind of help you in your own um, spiritual exploration. I'd also like to remind you that if you'd like to support the work we do here at Accidental Tomatoes, you can do that through Patreon. Uh, just look up patreon.com slash accidentaltomatoes to learn more. And if you enjoy the podcast, please, we would invite you to leave us a rating or a review on whatever app that you use to listen to your podcast. That helps other folks find our podcast and connect with our community. So now without any further ado, please give a warm Accidental Tomatoes welcome to my good friend, Sarah Farish. Nothing will fill you with more grace for other people than when you wake up to the fact that not everyone sees the world like you do. And that we're all coming at it with a different lens and a different collection of experiences. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm really excited uh, about our guest here for this episode. Uh, my good friend, Sarah Farish. Uh, Sarah and I have known each other a long time. <laughs> like, um, and and our, our paths don't cross as often as they used to. Um, but, uh, but Sarah is um, a friend from a long time back uh, doing some really interesting work with the Enneagram, which is something we haven't really talked about here um, directly on Accidental Tomato. I think a lot of us, you know, will identify our types um, in a lot of our interviews, but we haven't really gone into a deep dive about the Enneagram itself and, and what some of the possibilities are. So Sarah, thank you so much for being with me here for this episode. Um, please introduce yourself to the folks and then we'll, uh, we'll dive in. Well, thanks Joe for having me. Um, it's a, an honor to be on and I am Sarah Farish and I am an Enneagram coach. My Enneagram uh, business is called Ennea Gal because I coach a lot of women and a lot of younger gals, um, like the 18 to 25 range. I also do some marketing um, with my company, Sarah Beth and Company. So that's what that's what I spend my days doing: marketing and enneagram coaching. Very cool. Very good. You're you're like and you're sort of a pioneer in the gig economy without trying to be a pioneer in the yeah. gig economy. Because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you you and I have kind of both as 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 we've known each other over the years. It seems like. We're never into the same thing for very long. It seems like we're always kind of shifting and changing and moving. But I think I think that's kind of the the world we live in now, um, and, and I kind of like it. Yeah. So, well, let's let's dive in. Um, just for folks who you know may not know, um, if they've been living under you know their collective rocks for the last few years, um, just give us a, a, a little definition. What is the enneagram, um, and and why do you think it's you know become so popular here, like in recent, especially like in deconstruction type of circles, it seems to have become very popular. So yeah, give us a little background there, please. So the Enneagram is a, it stands for nine graph. Enneagram is for nine graph. So it just means there's this circle, this graph that has nine points on it. And that is those, each of those nine points symbolize a personality type. So think about Myers-Briggs, the DISC, some of those personality systems, Strengths Finder. We've probably all heard of one of those at some point in our life. And so those person, personality typing systems all usually speak to behavior. 
why, you know, what we do, are you, you know, for, are you an extrovert? Are you an introvert? Is your strength learning or is your strength, you know, connecting and influencing? The difference is the Enneagram as a personality typing system really speaks to motive why you do what you do. So you and I can have the very same behavior, like, you know, the gig economy and changing jobs or whatever that looks like. We can have the same behavior, but our purpose or our reason or that deep motive for what we do can be different. So in a nutshell, the Enneagram's just nine personality types that tell us why we do what we do. Very cool. And it's, I think we should point out too, because it, I'm sure to some folks it seems like sort of a faddish thing just because it's been mm-hmm. popular lately. But it, this is this is an ancient tool. It's been around for a long time, hadn't it? Yeah, and I think the thing about it being an ancient tool, and you know, in my Enneagram training when I became an Enneagram coach, we really had to dive into that. And there is some mystery surrounding where the Enneagram came from, and did some man just get it like through a spirit? I mean, there's all kinds of mystery surrounding it. But I will say, I go back to like the desert mothers and fathers and their use of it. The Jesuits used it a lot. Um, The Enneagram was being used in the 70s and 80s in this country, um, mostly, you know, like in California. It was used in counseling and spiritual direction. It was used by priests to help. to help counsel people. And also back in, back when it was first used, you didn't go around telling people your number, like I'm a four, I'm a three. That wasn't what it was for. It was for your knowledge and growth. And I think that the idea of, you know, you had asked, why is it becoming so popular, especially in deconstruction circles? And I think that it's becoming more and more popular because, you know, we're all kind of wondering, you know, who we are, why we're here, and what we have to contribute to the world. And I think we all want to know ourselves and we want to know as we, as we explore like who Jesus is to us and what our faith is to us, it's really hard to understand that apart from knowing self. And so I really, I really need to know who I am and what, what I'm doing that's blocking me from Jesus per se, or blocking me from surrendering things to him. If I don't know who I am, I don't know what's between us, what's, keeping me from him. And so I think as people have, you know, they dove into who is Jesus, what is my faith look, what should my faith look like? Um, they've also attached to that has become like, who am I and how am I acting and how Hell do people yeah. receive me in a room? I think that that's, that's really insightful. I, I hadn't really thought about it that way because, you know, part of that, and I, you know, we talk a lot about deconstruction here on this podcast and I know that's also becoming sort of, faddish language. So I try to be careful with how I use it. Um, when, when you and I were talking before we started recording, you used the word disentanglement, which I really like, mm-hmm. um, because a lot of it is more about that than it is completely like dismantling the structure. But I, there, whatever you call it, what, what, when you go through that, um, when you begin to start asking questions of your inherited faith traditions, I, I don't know how you do that without some level of self-examination, right? Because I think within within the institution, we're okay with people exploring the depending on what part of the institution you're in, like with exploring different sort of theological concepts and stuff. But we we're we're not great at leading people through that real deep self-examination. So a great example of that would be my faith journey in the sense that um, I'm a three. And so a three wants to appear successful. Um, They want to be successful, but it's really more about appearance and performance with a three and achievement. Mm -hmm. And so if I didn't know that I look at God and my faith through the lens of a three, and I believe that, and, and a lot of the coaches that I follow believe that you're born with your type and it's how you respond to the world. And actually a lot of this is evidenced in, in your childhood. A lot of the, if you, if you kind of glance back through your childhood, I can see myself earning certificates and trophies and trying to be the valedictorian and all of that. So it was very achievement oriented. So what happens is that got transferred directly to my faith. So yeah. subconsciously, I wasn't consciously doing this. Um, Jesus and my faith became about achievement and success. And again, all these terms are relative. It was what I considered success and what I considered achievement. So I took cues from my environment and achievement looked like doing a lot of Bible studies, teaching a lot of Bible studies, working endless hours in the church, leading this, leading that. 
It also looked like my definition of success was, okay, that pastor, he is a success with Jesus because he's a pastor. So if he believes it, then I believe it. So mm. all of my, my inherited faith, as you call it, and I love that term inherited, it, it, it was inherited from a range of pastors and a range of people um, in leadership positions. And if they said something, then I made a quick note. And then that's what I would say. I just took my cues from the environment and I didn't realize I was a three. And I didn't realize that what I was trying to do was be successful at faith. Um, now I know that my tendency is to achieve. So I have to really um, use my Enneagram skills and I've been to therapy and I have a spiritual director and that's all on purpose. <laughs> um, so I have to use those skills that I've learned through the Enneagram to say, you know, this time with Jesus, Sarah, this isn't an achievement. This isn't you checking off the box that says, hey, pastor, I had a quiet time today, like you said, for me to have from the pulpit. Um, it's saying, no, I spent time with my friend Jesus um, this morning. Mm. And you don't even yeah. need to know that. That's for me. Yeah. And so, again, being a three, it's about performing, right? So my, I felt like my time with Jesus had to be public. If I read it, I needed to write about it and I'm a writer. And so it just, I would write about it or I would make sure I shared it with you or um, somehow someone needed to know about that time. And now I spend hours upon hours with Jesus and no one even knows and they shouldn't know and they shouldn't even care because sometimes I'm just talking in a car. And so, <laughs> but I didn't know that. I didn't know. I didn't know myself. And we all think we're so self-aware. And I always say, I go wherever I go. So if I come to a table, I'm bringing all of me to a table, my collection of experiences, my Enneagram yeah. lenses. And so then I'm viewing God through the lens of the Enneagram because it's the only thing I know how to do, view him through the lens of personality. And then that also, you know, as you know, it can cause lots of conflict because I'm over here trying to achieve and look successful at being a Jesus follower. And someone else who might be a four is finding that emotionally, like it lacking emotional integrity. So they think I'm a big fake, but my heart isn't fake. I'm just, mm. I don't know what I don't know. And so yeah, I think yeah. Enneagram pointed out to me, Sarah, you're living your life through a lens of success and achievement. And that's who God made me to be. It, I'm not trying to change who I am. I'm trying to change what that looks like in the world um, and what that looks like as a Jesus follower. That's so interesting uh, because that that's making me think. So I'm a seven. That's probably a huge surprise to you. <laughs> that, really shocked, but <laughs> you know that that you know, and it's what uh, the Peter Pan is one of the kind of metaphors that that gets attached to sevens a lot. Um, but but I never you know thinking about that in terms of how I filter my faith experience through that um, personality type or, or how we want to classify that or. That, that's really interesting because I can think back on, you know, just e even ways I interpret certain passages of scripture through that lens. So, you know, so my current, you know, I, I've kind of evolved into this place where um, I, I, I'm, I'm a full on liberation theologian anymore. I really, you know, I've kind of grown into this place where I, I really feel like justice and liberation is really the heart of the whole Jesus story. Now, I know there are, there are legitimate theological arguments that would say that that's not the heart of it. I, that's just where I am right now. But I can see how I, I filter through my, you know, through my sevenness, um, this sort of idealism, this sort of, um, you know, one, wanting to avoid some of the pain. Yeah, you know, that's a big thing for sevens is we we're we're very pain avoidant, right? Um, and so, you know, thinking about how my search for justice and liberation for others is partly because I I want folks to avoid pain the same way I want to avoid my own pain in some way. It's just, I don't know, I just you're you're kind of making me think of things in a different way. I that's what I love about these kind of conversations. Though. Yeah, and and I think that the thing is, is maybe since you've, you know gone to seminary and you've been reading the word. I've been doing that for years. I'm 46. I really started trying to read the word on my own in my, you know, when I was a teen and then I got away from it. And then I just felt like I wasn't equipped to read the word. So I just read lots of books about the word, but I didn't read mm -hmm. the Bible for myself. And I just let pastors tell me what to believe. And I just allowed books to tell me what to believe, but that's something a three would do. Um, I didn't know why I was doing that. And so then when I start to dive into the word, um, I'm looking for what did Jesus do? Because I am doing dominant. Threes are doing dominant, feeling repressed. So, and we mm -hmm. can, 
there's so much, you know, the Enneagram has so many interesting things about triads and stances, and it's all very fascinating because you bring all of that to the table when you bring you. If I bring all of that to any book I'm reading, including the Bible, I bring my threeness to this conversation. Now, you know, I'm, I'm more and more self-aware and emotionally intelligent because of the work I've done and it's been hard work, but I'm still a work in progress. So I bring that here too. You can't not bring you with you. You're going to bring the fun no matter where you go. Um, So all that to say, when, when I dive into the Bible, I'm looking for what they were doing. Well, when I only look for doing, I miss feeling. I miss thinking. Mm. And so it's important for me when I sit down with the word to think about, okay, here's what Jesus was doing, but wonder what he was feeling. I wonder what he was Mm. thinking. Wonder what this woman at the well was, was, I know what she was doing and I know what they're saying, but what are they thinking? What are they, what are they feeling in this moment? And I have to, you know, I write letters and post them on social media and people are always like, oh, I find those interesting. And I say, well, what you don't know is where I'm feeling repressed. I write those letters to force feeling in that moment. It's to force myself to be self-reflective and to think about others' perception. And so when I come, when I, when I read the word or I read the Sermon on the Mount, I am reading it through doing lenses. So if I'm not aware of that, because I'm not, I'm not emotionally intelligent, I'm not self-aware, then, then I'm bringing all of that and I'm teaching through that. And I don't even know that I'm bringing that to it. And I found, I find that problematic when people, you know, they're like, well, I don't like the Enneagram because you're just always focusing on, your, focusing on yourself and you should be focusing on Jesus. And I would submit to you that when I know myself and I know my tendencies, that I have a much freer relationship with Jesus. My trust, I trust you to point it out, Lord, because I'm only looking for the doer, the doing, you know? Right, and right. so yeah. I really do feel like it's important as we um, interpret scripture and as we um, listen to God that we know, you know, we know ourselves enough to know, you know what? I can't look at this as a big old achievement because that is not okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So Lord, redirect that, you know, I think it really directs my prayer life, knowing myself and knowing my tendencies. Um, and listen, you know, we, you and I both believe that all that stuff before was put to good use and we learned from it. I'm, you know, I'm not saying, well, if you don't know your Enneagram number, you probably can't follow Jesus very well. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, you don't hear yeah. what I'm not saying. <laughs> I'm, right, just, right. I'm just saying that um, you really feel a new depth with, a, you feel a new depth of faith and depth of trust when you know who you're dealing with, the good and the Yeah, yeah. That, that kind of leads me into what I wanted to ask you next, because I think, you know, with the popularity of the Enneagram, probably nearly everybody has done some little quick online test to find out, you know, what's my, what's my type? You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's how I first discovered I was a seven. And then the more I read, I'm like, well, of course, that's what I like. I didn't really need that test to tell me <laughs> that, <laughs> you know, um, but, but there's more to it than just knowing, you know, I'm a seven wing five or whatever. Like, um, there's more to it than that. And I think you've, you've started to unpack some of that with that self-awareness. Um, but let's talk a little bit about, you know, why is it important to go beyond just, you know, taking the quiz and finding out what your type is? What, where's the, what further depth would, do you like to see people go, especially like when you're in a coaching mm-hmm. situation? What, what layers are you trying to peel back to get people to see um, deeper into? Well, I, every time I start a, a workshop, I did a workshop yesterday and I started it with this language. You can, A, have a fun party conversation when you leave here. We can just talk about your number and laugh about, oh, I'm an eight or I'm a six. And you can also use it as a crutch to say, well, I mean, I'm just a three. That's just how I'm going to do it. Mm. Or you can dive deeper. And I think the question that you're asking is, you know, how, why would you dive deeper? And I'm going to tell you that it is, um, it is hard work in the sense that you're going to read that Enneagram reveals childhood messages. And I didn't resonate with my childhood message for a very long time. Now I fully do. Um, So it it is about when I'm coaching someone, we're first just trying to identify their type. And a lot of people are mistyped. They're so sure they know their number. But if they really dove into the Enneagram, um, the quizzes are about 70% accurate. Um, I have never tested my number. I I wanted to be a two. So I answered like a two. That's something a three Mm. would do. We would answer like another number. That's just something interesting. That was my first clue. Um, So um, the quizzes aren't always accurate. Like for you, you're like, yeah, I knew that. But some people quiz and they're like, I have a friend who has tried for a few years to land on her number. 
She's kind of sure, but not a hundred percent sure. And that's pretty normal. I mistyped myself um, as a two and then as an eight. Um, I was diving in eight years ago though, when there wasn't a lot of information, I was just reading books that I got. So I would say, first, I try to help them to just see their number. And then we do a deep dive into their number about how, you know, what they don't realize is when you're aware, you you cannot change what you're not aware of. You can't surrender what you're not aware of. Mm, And so um, I want them first to know this is who you are. And I want them to embrace that, confess that, admit that, (laughs) Um, and to see both the beauty and the ugly, because, you know, your greatest gift can also be your greatest blessing or yeah, your greatest yeah. curse, you know. So I want them to see that there's good about this and there's bad. So that's our first step. This is this is who this is the, the type you identify with. You're not a number, of course. And then we go a little bit deeper because that little Enneagram little graph that you look at, that's a circle with all the numbers. There's arrows going back and forth and all of that matters. So you're connected. I'm a three and I'm connected to a nine and a six. If you look at the little graph mm-hmm. and in that connection, I can also um, see my rumble strips. So I know that when I am not doing well in life, I look like a nine who's not really healthy. So the minute that I find myself in front of Netflix with a large pizza and a bucket of ice cream, I know that that's a, that's a rumble strip. That might be just like, I'm just resting and recouping and it's a weekend. But if it's two or three days, I have to step back and say, what's going on here? Cause this isn't normally you. Mm. And then when I find myself in a lot of eye language and the situations about me, I know that I'm in a lot of three land. And so I need to move to six land because when I'm doing well, I look like, you know, a healthy, and this is all language that it's Enneagram language, but a healthy six, someone who's doing well. And I'm not about Sarah, I'm about the collective group. So Mm -hmm. I think that peeling back the layers helps you to step forward as just a better human who's more kind, compassionate. Nothing will fill you with more grace for other people than when you wake up to the fact that not everyone sees the world like you do. And that we're all coming at it with a different lens and a different collection of experiences. And so it's a big wake up moment when you're across the table from someone who's you just don't really like. And you realize, you know what, though, their own collection of experiences, their lens, they, they have a lot going on there, too. So yeah. I find that when I'm and I also have found that um, I like people like me. I want you to be efficient, a go-getter. Um, but I have never more understood than through the Enneagram the importance of team and the importance of all the numbers. While, you know, a couple of numbers kind of can drive me crazy when I'm trying to get something done. But without their multiple perspectives, without their troubleshooting, we'd be dead in the water. Um, so I used to like to just work on my own and be a lone ranger. That's not true anymore. I value team much more and I just value people much more because I see that I know that there's a depth there that like, I can't, I can't even see or know, and I might not ever, but it's there and I'm aware it's there. Yeah. And so I, when I coach someone, I just want them to see that the people, it just even gives, you know, Joe, it gives even more, um, we just need more forgiveness. We need more grace. We need more compassion. It it grows your empathy. Um, all of those things grow when you begin to see that people are not looking at the world like you are. They're not all yeah. achievers who want success. Um, it also helps you to know like a nine, for example, they feel like at a table, their voice doesn't matter. If I have a nine on my team, I know they're valuable and I want them to make sure that they know their voice matters. And that's going to take mm-hmm. a little bit of growing and, and empowering. And so the layers are endless. Um, I also know that I'm, you know, there's an anger triad, there's a heart triad. So if all that resentment in me is stewing all the time, who wants to live like that? The Enneagram helps you to relieve yourself of some of that resentment and make steps forward. And it provides a plan and a course because you know, the numbers you're connected to and you know, the beauty of those numbers and you have access to that. The numbers beside you are your wings and those are, they both have beautiful things about them and you have access to that. So that growth is exponential. And it's also, once you land on your number, it's revealing. So it kind of fast tracks your therapy in a way yeah, because yeah. you don't have to answer 300 questions to get to like, you know what, there's some ugly things in here and here's what they are. The Enneagram kind of points out the ugly early on, but it's not only ugly. It also shows you what's possible um, mm-hmm. if you'll surrender some of that ugly and admit it and, and do some work. Yeah. 
I love what you said uh, just now about th- that awareness that not everybody sees the world the same way you do. And just kind of thinking through, you know, the, kind of the whole deconstruction. Um, I, I never, I never, I've, I say this a lot in the podcast. I never view deconstruction as a linear process. I, I've been thinking, you know, how do you map that on a spiral dynamic sort of model? <laughs> and, and that, that awareness of others, um, in terms of, you know, your own spiritual deconstruction, whatever wave of that you happen to be in at any time. I, I think it's, that's so important of taking you to whatever the next phase of your own growth is. And I, I just, you know, as you were saying that I found myself like, I wish the church could get that more, right? That, that not everybody sees the world the way the institution does or particular, you know, pastors or leaders within the institution. We, we want to create this within the church too often, not all the time. I mean, there's, there are good exceptions, but we, we want to create this sort of monolithic, like, here's what it means to be a Christian. And, you know, you and I have both been around those sort of denominational or non-denominational camps that, you know, everybody but us is going to hell because we're the only ones that really get it right. And, but if, if, if we want to follow a theology of grace, you know, that's, I keep saying the reason I remain Wesleyan is because I believe in grace, you know, mm-hmm. um, that, re- that requires that you understand that people don't see the world the way you do. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I think you're right there. You can't understand that until you understand the way you see the world. Does that make sense? Yes. And I think that is one of the core things about the Enneagram. It's like, this is how you see the world. And so, and, and, you know, if I'm, if let's just say I'm a pastor, if I come up to a platform every weekend, which is what pastors are charged with doing, that's what they're paid to. They come and they, they, they give a message and they don't take into account that they are one point of view out of these potential nine. And there are actually subtypes. So there's actually potentially 27. Yeah, now, yeah. never mind the fact that each of those types, those 27 comes with a human who has their own collection of experiences in those classes. So now we're at a million. And so we wonder why we sit in these, you know, we wonder why in this current media frenzy, we have such divisiveness, masks and vaccines and this candidate and that candidate. And we have all of this divisiveness and we have divisiveness in the church. And the answer seems to be from some pulpits, just more Jesus, more Jesus, less stuff. I get that. I I get that. But when I'm a pastor and I'm coming to that pulpit and I'm giving this message, I have to realize that I'm giving it through my lens and my experiences. And I can't be defensive or I can't be angry if someone out there has one of the other million and they come to me with honest questions. Hmm. And so I think knowing your Enneagram type also cuts down on the defensiveness over the church. And the defensiveness over, I have the right way, because all that's really fear driven. You know, it's like if I ask you a question, what you fear is, what if I'm wrong? Or you fear, Mm -hmm. what if, um, what if I'm wrong about Jesus? What if I'm wrong about my faith? And you asking me a question threatens that surety that I have. Yeah. And actually, probably not. Probably they're coming with an authentic question that just reflects their lenses and their collection of experiences. It's not really about challenging you in your faith, although it could be. And I think that just so many pastors and leadership teams and denominations, it would do them such a service to realize, let's just hold some space for questions Mm. without defense, without feeling like we have to wrestle you to the ground with our Roman road. Um, All of those things have a beautiful place in our faith tradition. They do. But sometimes people just come with authentic questions that come out of their childhood experience mixed with their adult experience, mixed with their four church experiences, mixed with these Enneagram lenses. And so they just, um, you know, some people even don't start out asking really authentically. They are kind of like poking the bear. But again, that's just another thing that's coming from somewhere, right? And I think what happens when it's like my way or the highway and a denomination, and I'm not talking about like things that we hold pretty tight as, as, you know, theologically, I'm talking about all this other stuff that's happened, all these other ideologies that have popped up and all these political issues, like all these things sprinkled around that just float in the atmosphere around us. 
when someone comes to a pastor and he said something from the pulpit or she said something from the pulpit and a person has an authentic question about that, instead of being like, well, why don't you just step back and say, can we have a coffee? Because I think that that's the, that's the main problem right now. It's not holding yeah, yeah. space for the questions. We just want to yell at the deconstructionist and what are they doing? And they don't believe in Jesus. And I tell you, I have disentangled my faith um, from a lot of things that I had put on my faith, mo- mostly not from the Bible, but from, from the culture. Mm-hmm. And I have found a Jesus that I love more than I ever could have thought I love Jesus. But that yeah. came from people who around me who allowed me to ask questions and who allowed me to not just achieve my way into a faith or try to just hurry up and efficiently find a good faith that's successful because that's what threes do. They allowed me to ask honest questions and they responded with honest questions, including I do not know there is mystery here. Yeah. And so um, I really I really do think that the church as an entity Um, If they would just come to tables with people who are deconstructing instead of slapping a label on them or placing a judgment on them or thinking they know what they think and how they're defining deconstruction. And so putting all that on, if they just come and say, what's the big question? What's the big worry? What is it that you're seeking? Um, And we can't really, it's hard to do that if we don't know ourselves because then we live in a lot of fear because there's so many unknowns. And if we don't know ourselves, we also aren't comfortable in our own skin. So we have a lot to be defensive over. Mm, yeah. That you're blowing my mind. Cause I'm just saying like the, what you just said rushed a hundred new questions into my mind. Um, and, and I'm sitting here thinking about one of the things we, we talk a lot about on this podcast and on the website and some of the writing is, um, stages of faith development. We talk about James Fowler's work in faith development and how so often people get stuck at that third phase where it's very institutional. There's a lot of control. There's a lot of comfort in that. There's a lot of, um, you know, because you're surrounded by community, there are authority figures that kind of do the work for you. So you don't have to do a lot of thinking on your own. And so for one thing, I'm thinking about what a great tool the Enneagram is for taking not only individuals to the next levels of faith development, because you've got to, you know, in Fowler's model, which I tend to more or less agree with, you know, there's seven phases of, of, or stages or whatever that you can grow through. And, and we tend to thwart people at stage three, but it's because our institutions are also stuck at stage three. I, I was, watching a little Richard Rohr clip with, with my faith community a couple of weeks ago. And, and he just says, you know, really explicitly, like there's a reason the church is stuck in phase. This church can't go beyond phase three because all of these control and fear issues, like you mentioned, are, are so embedded, but man, what if our institutions could manage that level of self-awareness, manage that, you know, that ability to hold space open for people mm-hmm. who are, going through phases of doubting and questioning because of their own unique personal experiences. What would it look like? I can't tell you how many pastors I know who are going through deconstruction and don't even know that that's what they're doing because, you know, so much of our, our institutional thinking is embedded in, I I have to do it this way. I don't have, I can't ask these questions, right? I have to lead these people. What if we created space within the institution for our leaders to deconstruct and then to help other folks through that deconstruction? You know, what what kind of beautiful outcome could we see on the other side of that? Well, and for and for uh, like a three leader, if I were leading a church as a three, um, I know what the culture says success looks like as a church. Numbers, growth, lots of programming. So even if I feel differently, if I don't know I'm a three, I'm not ever going to step outside the bounds of what culture says success is as a church. And we know what mm. culture says it is. Yeah, yeah. Number saved, hands raised. I mean, I come from a highly evangelical culture. So first of all, until I know that I'm a three and I'm using the culture for my cues, I think I'm using the word. You know, I find, Joe, that not a lot of people aren't being evil. <laughs> They're not, they just yeah, don't yeah. know what they don't know. They don't have exactly. bad will. They, you know, like a pastor who's leading in a very three success, raise your hand. They don't know what they're doing because they don't know who they are. 
And yeah, so they're exactly. doing their very best with what they know. So I don't, I'm not disparaging anyone. I'm just saying that what would you said, what would a faith community look like that held space for that? It would look very different than what we have. And mm-hmm. that's very scary. Because, and what yeah. we have was, you know, it's, it seems to be working. Also, we cannot, we cannot get away from the fact that what we have is tied to money. And so if I start this different movement, who's paying my salary? Yeah. Um, because, and, and what's the board going to say? Um, if you have a board, I know some churches that don't have a board. And so that person, whatever their personality is, that's the personality of the church because they're the only one making any decisions. Right. So I think that if we said, and and I, and, and I hope this is coming in my near future, I've been in some conversations. I pray it's coming in my near future. Mm-hmm. Um, if we have a model where we say, no, just come to the table and ask your questions, come to the table and tell me what you're reading. Um, because, and how, again, that just dignifies the other, right? Because yeah. if I'm a three and I'm about my success and my achievement, which we are at our unhealthiest <laughs> or even our just average, just our, it just our baseline average is about self or what my achievement. I'm not looking outward. I am not loving my neighbor because I'm loving me too much. Yeah. And a lot of us don't realize how much we're loving self. We don't think we are. We're like, Oh no, we're, but we really are so focused on self and we're not loving our neighbor. So in a model where we said, you know what, understand yourself because then you'll understand what your fears are. Like I fear failure. So in understanding that fear, it's not failure to me. If someone questions to me, questions me about my faith, about the way I parent my children, that's not failure. I thought it was five years ago. So all of a sudden, if we know ourselves, then we're not threatened by the questions and we're not threatened by someone else's journey and we hold space for their place on the journey. They don't have to be like us. Yeah. They can be like them. And we trust a God who is sovereign and who is way bigger than us, who will do what he needs to do in their life. I'm not in control of their growth. I, I don't need to be threatened by their growth. I don't need to be threatened by their questions. He's got them. Yeah. He's in control of that. I mean, who am I? Um, I'm just, you know, someone who is here, you know, subduing and working the earth, you know, <laughs> alongside him. And so I I would love a faith community where um, it wasn't just so personality driven because yeah. our faith communities are personality driven by people who don't know their personalities. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. And and yeah. I'm, I'm not, this is not a blanket statement. It's just what I'm seeing some in some of my in some of my life and in some of the. Christian famous world on Instagram. It's so personality driven, but they don't even know their own personality. And, um, and you know what, in that I feel deep compassion and sadness for them because I think what could be if you sat down and you self-reflected and instead of just using these people in your church as volunteers and laborers, what if you saw their stories and saw their hearts and then you, we all leveraged all of that for good. What would that look like? And I think that's the question you originally asked. What would that look like? Yeah. I can't even fathom what beauty that would be and how much more justice we would see if we really looked at other people one-on-one, looked into their eyeballs and said, like, you are made in his image and you can ask whatever questions. And I trust you. I trust you in the hands of the one who made you. And to have the humility to not have to give an answer to. I think that's the other side of that to not only to, to create space for people to have their doubts and their questions, but also to, to have the humility to not rush in with, well, here's the solution or because that can become so manipulative, right? You can, you can appear to be creating space for doubt and questions. And I think this happens, you know, these some communities want to want to have the appearance that oh yeah come you know you don't have to have it all figured out god accepts you just the way you are but we're really quick to tell you <laughs> as soon as you get settled in that pew right what we think the answer is yeah which which is it's so disingenuous and i think you're right though i think people do not do that out of a conscious sense of ill will they do it out of and i don't mean this in a pejorative way it's just ignorance though it's mm-hmm. 
it's not know like you said not it's not knowing what you don't know and and falling into these ex- expectations and patterns that we observe all around us um you know especially in church world um and so well here's you know here's how i'm supposed to respond to this i'm just going to do this and some numbers are more prone to that so some numbers are yeah, more yeah. prone to this is what it looks like to respond to this correctly and my son said mm. yesterday that he had a test and he knew what answers the teachers wanted, although he didn't even believe his own answers. And he yeah, got a 92. Yeah. yeah. So he's learned this is how you answer appropriately to this person. And that's exactly how some churches work. We're more likely to answer in the way that we know the pastor wants us to we'll say the right thing. But there is some dissonance in our soul and there's some cost yeah. to us when we do that. And there's a big cost when we don't know that we're doing it. Mm. Uh, and then when we drag others along doing it. And I mean, I had to yeah. repent of a lot of that, like not knowing what I didn't know, but still dragging others along. And yeah, just not just not being a kind human to those people in the way that I led them or spoke to them. And in my heart, I felt like I was doing the wrong thing, but I didn't know what I didn't know. And mm. it wasn't kind. And so I do think that I will say to what you're saying, all of those things, different numbers would respond differently to. And they would, and there are a couple numbers that would definitely just be like, oh yes, that's what the pastor said. So that's right and good. And yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Absolutely. Oh, this is such helpful. good stuff. <laughs> this is so insightful. I, I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about what you do, um, Sarah, because, you know, I think um, this idea of coaching the Enneagram is, is really fascinating to me. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what does Enneagram coaching, what does a, a a coach, I know you do more than one type of coaching, like scenario or, or, or whatever, but, but what is a, what is a, a coaching session kind of look like and how, how do people benefit from that? So a one-on-one coaching session, if it's just you and me, we're going to have a conversation. Um, I'm going to have you take a test before you show up. There's a few tests I'll have you take. And that's not necessarily to nail down your type, but it's to give me information. Right. And then I'm going to ask you some questions in that first you know, session and they're very, I mean, they're constructed, well-constructed questions that are trying to get at the heart of a few things. And then I'm going to give you some next steps. Like here's three numbers that I would read about and see which one you resonate. And I'm going to give you some um, awareness techniques. Like when you walk into a room, what is it that you first notice? When you're in a group of people, what are you doing? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? So just trying to get people to be more self-aware of what happens when they're in a room with people, when they're alone. Um, I'll give some techniques for that. Then the next time we convene, it really depends on if they know their number or not. So if they feel like they're pretty sure of their number, I have coached a woman two sessions as a five. And then I, I didn't I didn't think she was a five. But again, I don't type people. So I let her, I coached her as a five, knowing that she would discover that she's not a five. It took about two sessions. She discovered and we started over. (laughs) But in that learning, she learned much about herself. So that was important. So we start out, this is what the Enneagram is. Here's all the numbers. And I truly believe you should learn all the numbers, not just be all invested in whatever number you are. Because the goal is um, to love others as you love yourself. And so you need to know the others to love them well. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I've heard people say, well, that's a little manipulative. Like if you know Joe is a seven, then you can, and I don't see it as manipulative. What I see it as is I know Joe's a seven. And so I know Joe's tendencies and I'm going to love him as he wants to be loved. And I'm going to serve him as he wants to be served because I know where he's coming from. So we just, we dive in together about their number. We take a deep dive. I can do up to, you know, you can do endless amounts of sessions on one number because there's, they're in a triad. They have stance, they have um, conflict coping. There's orientation to time. There's, it's very wide subtypes. So we can really dive deep into who they are and why they do what they do and what changing that might look like. I can create them a plan for change. So after we get to know one another pretty well, I can say, here are some places that, you know, some of it's just about naming where you want to change and there's freedom in naming it, naming what you didn't know was there. So we make sure we name the changes and then we make a plan for changes. Sometimes I, uh, Enneagram coach whole groups yesterday, I had a staff at a physical therapy clinic, um, about 25 guys, guys and gals who, you know, just wanted to know the Enneagram and learn how to work together better. So 
I do it with staffs of people, um, large groups of people. And um, they have their, if you have a staff conflict, the Enneagram is great at conflict resolution and mm. a marriage conflict. It's great for, for couples who, who want to get along better. Maybe they're having some trouble because the Enneagram gives language to things we don't know or we don't have language for. Mm, so, you know, that, yeah. if a three is a very efficient human who moves very quickly and a nine um, often has trouble prioritizing and feels like their voice doesn't matter. And let's say a nine's married to a three and a three feels like their voice matters a whole lot. So the nine mm, yeah. begins to resent because they're in the anger triad. They begin to resent their spouse because they feel like they never listen to them and they never care what they want to say. And the three's just like, well, I never knew you wanted to say anything. You always just defer to me. The nine needs to be able to name their part in it. They're deferring to the three. And the three needs to be able to name the fact that they're not holding space for the nine to speak and not empowering them to speak. So that's just one little snippet of what a three-nine conflict could look like. And so it really gives language to that person to say, no, I'm giving you voice here. So you don't live in that resentment. And, but again, you know, Joe, all of these things feel a little bit like work. They feel a little bit like, yeah, you know, I just find the more of I let go of myself, the more I find myself. It's um, it's just that mystery, you know, that mystery. But that's yeah. what it looks like. It looks like either one-on-one coaching where we peel back the layers of maybe a, a you know, like a six. I, I know a six is a good friend. And I said, you know, the childhood message of a six is you, you know, it's not okay to trust yourself. And she got tears and she's like, I don't trust myself. And I didn't know I didn't trust myself. She said, that's why I always uh, ask you guys to make the decision. Yeah, yeah. So just in that, she learned. And if that's all she learned, I don't trust myself. So how can I grow in trust? Um, yeah. So all these layers of things from a childhood message to your core motivations. We talk about your core fear, your core desire, your core longing. And being able to name, you know what, my core fear as a three, my core fear, fear is failure. <laughs> and being able to name that, I can see why it keeps me from doing stuff because I'm just afraid I'm going to fail at it. So yeah. it, it, you really will see all the roadblocks once you can name your core fear, your core desire, your, your probably childhood wounding message. And, and it might take you a long time to understand how all those things interact. But even just knowing your core fear, core desire, and core longing is so helpful. And a lot of people, I bet you the average Joe on the street cannot name their core fear and they cannot name their core desire. Yeah. Um, they might think it's like, well, I just want to own my own business, but that's not what we're talking about. No, no. It's the that's deeper goals. thing. Yeah. It's the deeper thing behind, you know, all yeah, of these yeah. behaviors and dreams. I, I don't, I don't like this language, but it's the best way I can describe it. It's like the symptom that your core fears and your core motivations are like the disease inside that you can't see. And it's the thing that's fueling all of the behaviors out here. So these core things are like the fuel for all the behavior that you're seeing. And people are just behaving and going through life and they don't know what the fuel is. So once they can name the fuel, they can decide, do I want to turn the fuel up because I need to be angry in this situation or do I want to turn it down? And you have more agency to do that when you, when you know that number. So. Wow. That's so, this is all so fascinating. I, <laughs> I'm resisting the urge to like <laughs> go, go way deeper because we are starting to run, uh, run a little bit, um, short of time. Um, this is, this is really, really fascinating stuff. And I, I do have a hundred more questions, but like I said, we are coming close to the end of our time. Um, if folks want to connect with you, Sarah, how, how would they, how do they find you and make contact? And if they want to get a, a coaching session for themselves or for a team, how do they go about that? So on Instagram, I am at Sarah Farish and I'm also at Enneagal. So E-N-N-E-A-G-A-L, like Enneagram, but Enneagal, because I do, and it's, it's a very feminine looking, um, cause I coach a lot of women. It's, I do, I do have short. the, I do have the neutral version as well. That's, you know, that I use yesterday <laughs> with guys and gals, but, um, and, um, I'm, I'm still building out a few other things. Um, but, the link to any gal is in my Instagram profile at Sarah Farish. And I, I am on Facebook um, at Sarah Farish writer, but I hang out mostly on Instagram. There's a lot of good Enneagram resources on Instagram, but you don't just want to Instagram yourself. You don't want to Instagram Enneagram yourself because like anything <laughs> like Instagram theology, it's snippets when there's a much bigger story. And I do try right, to right. post things that are um, a much bigger story and some things that are just fun. Like, you know, 
Enneagram Christmas trees, like a three would be much more overdone than maybe a sixes, et cetera. So, um, <laughs> so, and that's fun. I mean, cause there is fun too. I like to have fun too. So um, I would love for you to, you can always send me a DM at Sarah Farish or at any gal and all those are linked on at Sarah Farish. And if you have a question, feel free to, you know, send me a message on there. I would love to love to chat about the Enneagram anytime. I love the, I love, I, I find it, you know, I find it so helpful, especially in my faith walk. Um, it is mm-hmm. intricately connected to my spirituality. It's never in place of, but it is a good tool um, to come alongside. Yeah. I, I, I got stuck on the Christmas tree imagery. I'm imagining my seven Christmas tree just decorated with empty beer bottles. Yeah, see? <laughs> Whatever you feel is fun. <laughs> Great stuff. Well, thanks again, Sarah. It's so appreciate you um, being with us for this episode. I, I feel like there's a lot more conversation uh, that maybe we can get into down the road. Um, but really, really grateful for your friendship and for uh, for you joining us for for this episode. So thanks again, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. That was such a, an interesting conversation. It, Sarah has um, just such a, a wealth of knowledge and wisdom when it comes to, you know, the Enneagram and how to use it and, um, and the whole idea of how, uh, you know, a coaching relationship to walk us through, um, you know, what our types are and what other people's types are. That, I just find that all um, really, really fascinating. And of, of course, uh, if you look in the show notes for this episode, uh, we've got links there as to how you can connect with Sarah if that's something that you would be interested in doing for yourself. As always, if you have any ideas or suggestions for future guests or topics uh, for us to discuss here on the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Um, you can connect with us through our website, through our social media channels, where you can find us at, at Accidental Tomatoes, or you can just send us an email at accidentaltomatoes at gmail.com. And again, please give us a rating or review if you enjoy the podcast uh, to help other folks find us and find out what it is that we're all about here in the Accidental Tomatoes community. So until next time, keep on growing outside the fences and join us again for another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast.